Awesome. Cool, cool. Yes, I am. Hello and welcome to Bullet Points. I'm Ed Smith. I'm joined as per by Reed McCarter. That's me. I'm a robot. You're a robot? Mm-hmm. Is, is this in reference to the game that we're talking about today? <laughs> yeah, it's my... I was just putting down my cup of coffee because you, you did the uh, little intro faster than I expected and I, I tried to come up with something to say <laughs> that was topical. There are three <laughs> varieties of intro. There's... The funny intro, where I recite some pop song lyrics and then do it. There's the sort of flabby intro, where I talk about what the show is. Like, this is a podcast about shooting games. And then start doing people's names. And then there's the truncated kind of Atkins intro, where I just go straight for the lean meat. And names, names, names. This is what we're talking about. And I suppose it's this fourth kind of meta intro, <laughs> where we discuss intros themselves. This kind of introception variety. Uh, I like it. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Ed Reed, and we're joined by special guest. Now, you said you are writing for Paste. Yeah, I'm currently working as a staff writer at large for Paste. Staff writer at large for Paste, Tucson Egan. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. I, I like when we have guests. Reed, do you like when we have guests? I despise it, and I'm grimacing this entire time. Well, Just... that's that's at least fifty percent approval from the bullet points <laughs> on this episode. That's right. at least. Yeah. Uh, and today we are talking about Ruiner. The people don't like this word, and I don't understand why. Isometric. Why? Why is that disliked? I've heard people complain I mean, about overusage of that word. I prefer the the terminology that was used for Hotline Miami, which is top down fuck 'em up, which seems more <laughs> like apt for this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So today we're talking about the top down fuck 'em up ruiner from Rikon Games. Is that how it's pronounced? I, yeah. I, I really don't want to butcher their name, but I, I've never heard it said out loud before. So we'll go with Rikon. Rikon Games, published by Devolver. It's a Top-down fuck 'em up shooter set in the year I think twenty ninety one is the year that they give, and it looks and sounds like a cyberpunkish Akira inflected man. The future's dark. It's all run by corporations, kind of deal. Yeah, um, yeah, that'll never happen. Oh no, never, never ever happen. No, definitely not. Tucson, what did you think of this game generally? Um, well, I mean, I've had my eye on this game since. April of last year, I believe, when it was first announced. And I'm a huge fan of like Hotline Miami in general. And this has sort of been marketed along those those sort of terms. I've actually uh, I, I actually listened back to your Hotline Miami episode like leading up to this, just so that we would have like some more talking points to go off of that. But I mean I was I was excited for this because I am a big fan of that game and I'm also a fan of sort of the the visual reference that this game is pulling from. I mean, it's from Japanese anime and I am someone who's written a lot on Japanese anime and appreciates a lot of Japanese anime. Um, and so I've been, you know, following it very closely and playing through the initial hours. I've actually finished the game, like just playing through the initial hours. I was left sort of wanting. I feel like this game doesn't really measure up to the hype that has been assorted with it. I don't think that this is anywhere near a, th this, this feels like 
only a surface comparison to Hotline Miami because I feel like that game and this game have very, very different objectives of what they're trying to do. And I also feel as though the the gameplay, the actual combat relative to one versus the other, I believe that Ruiner is a much softer form of combat compared to Hotline Miami. I'm just not a fan of that. Reed, how about you? Yeah, I'm... I think my opinion kind of lines up a little bit. I mean, there are different ways, and I'm sure we'll talk about both, that you can uh, talk about this game that are sort of two big separate points, but kind of the story is trying to tell and the way it looks is is very much one thing, and uh, that I don't feel is necessarily mm, made good on, uh, and sort of a similar thing with the uh, combat in this as well. It's I guess I'll say up front because it's like one of the first things I think of when I when I think of what it was like to play this game. There's so much to like about the way this game looks and sounds. Yeah, but it's it's it, it's, it's his look that really is what what's anchoring it. I mean, it's it's oh yeah, it's it's the, it's its main selling point. Yeah, it looks fantastic. I mean, you could maybe argue that over time it gets a little it's a little one tone maybe. Um, yeah, but whatever. That that's fine. That's not a big deal. But the um, for as good as the music is and and a lot of the way it looks, the the fighting is just like weightless and there's no, I don't know, I guess I have Hotline Miami on the brain again now too. But there's no sense of that like, um, that kind of like fevered feeling to it. It's and and I think that it wants to have that feeling. It wants to show uh, the guy you play as in this, uh, whose name escapes me right now. Or puppy. Does he have it? Is that his actual name? No, or we're just gonna they, call him Puppy, call like, him? like we call Jacket Jacket. Yeah, yeah. But he's, um, you know, I think he's supposed to be a similar kind of character in terms of he's he's mute, he nods or shrugs, and he kills everything with you know great finesse or something. But it feels just kind of like he's, I don't know, like splashing around a wave pool filled with blood in this game. Like it, it's just. It's there's there's no oomph to it, uh, which I know is a terrible way to describe it. But yeah, so I don't know. I I'm I'm uh, kind of on the same page as Tucson. I just I don't know. I, I'm not blown away by this game. I had a pretty fine time with Ruina, and I I think it marketed well. <laughs> um, it looks good, and uh, it, it has that foreboding red black. This is a game that's going to rattle your senses, and it again in the build up to it as Tucson reference, it it felt like a the second incarnation of Hotline Miami. Reed, I, I agree with you that it it doesn't have that quixotic, drugged, um, what's the word really that you describe Hotline Miami with? I'm not quite sure. Uh, sort of halated almost sensation. It it it's not bizarre enough it's not crazy enough it's not weird enough it's not surreal it's not absurd. psychedelic enough it's not psychedelic it's not phantasmagoric it's not frightening it's it's not colorful in the same sense of hotline miami i i stopped waiting for it to be as good as hotline miami i think after level one i decided that this was not right at, this is not at the same tier so i i kind of get that comparison up and tried to take ruiner at, at face value no pun intended because the character always wears a mask and yeah. There, there was one thing about it that I, I really did find not interesting in a kind of I can discuss this for hours way, but just 
a, a nice touch and i'll get onto that later on when we when we talk i think a bit more about maybe the character or the story but i i had a perfectly enjoyable time with the game i enjoy with i i, I agree with you both that the combat felt weightless and i didn't get that same the level of violence and bloodshed and sort of horror i think that i was expecting from ruin and with the way that it was presented the, with the music with that kind of oppressive darkness with that first level where you're running through these industrial chain link metal areas with alarms blaring i was expecting something quite dark and something and something quite bleak and ruin and never quite reached the sort of depths that i was hoping and yeah the the, the combat itself was um it felt more like a game of kind of asteroids or, <laughs> or what was it called on on the xbox 360 when they re-released was it just called, was it re-released as asteroids hd or something it was a really popular game on the 360 when it first released it's one of the first of the xbox arcade games and it's one of those uh geometry wars geometry wars exactly yeah just you know spinning shape spitting out bullets in a in a kind of fireworky pattern the combat That's a fair comparison me, the combat felt to me like that and the the story had this twist at the end that really I think blew the whole thing narratively to pieces. Um, I don't anyway. even think that was a twist though, because I feel like the the whole relationship, one of my, my main problems with this game is its story. I, I just think that I, I really just didn't give a shit about puppy. I didn't give a shit about her. I didn't really give a shit about anyone. And maybe that's sort of the point of, of what they were going for. I, I don't know, but it, it's as soon as, as soon as my arm is blown up and I'm back in Rinkong uh, South and this mysterious like female hacker is basically trying to like help me out and says like, oh, you got to rescue your brother. And I'm just like, I resent the fact of a story or a game telling me what my relationships are and what they mean to me versus me actually like engaging with those characters and building a relationship through that otherwise. Because otherwise, like... As soon as she told me that, I knew that either I don't have a brother or my brother's going to turn out to be a piece of shit. Like, that's 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 what I, I expected. And it's not a twist then. So the thing, that, the thing that confused me about it was you start the game, you start the game with the objective and it repeats it in a really obnoxious fashion because kill like, the boss, kill, bo- kill boss, kill boss over and over again. It's like, yeah, we get it. This guy's got a one track mind because he's been programmed. Stop saying kill boss. I figured it out. And you start the start the level with you start the game with this kill boss objective and then the her character pops up and says, your mind's been hijacked. Don't do that. I'm going to rescue you. And then she sends you on this long winded journey to lead you back to the boss and then says, ha ha ha. It was my idea to get you to kill the boss all along. So I never understood why she didn't just let you get on with it at the start of the game. It it seemed like kind of borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. It was, it was a, I feel ridiculous talking about the intricacies of the plot of a game called The Ruin. No, no, no. It's not your fault. It's it's the game's fault for not adequately explaining it. I think that the the reason why her let you on this entire cavalcade to to kill like the last like three bosses or whatever is because she was colluding with the boss who is your brother and basically made the boss think that she was on his side yep. and that she was like drawing out these traitors who are trying to orchestrate this coup d'etat against him. And it was basically all of her plot in order to like get closer to the boss. So to position you in that, in that place at the, at the end of the game. But you were, you were right on the precipice of killing the boss in the first level and she interrupts it. So if she wants him dead, why doesn't she just let you, I'm sure there is an explanation. It just it 
the, I really, the, I really the don't think that it is Ed. I think you you stumbled upon like like the, a knot in the story that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, the fact that it doesn't make sense doesn't bother me. I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into this game for its its narrative quality that doesn't no. cost me so much. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was just the the last level, the 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 dramatic stomach kind of dropped out of it at that point because I, I was expecting a, a different build up. Um, well, before, I don't know if you're gonna move on, but the one thing I would say though is about. And I was thinking this when you said maybe I shouldn't take the story seriously when it's you know this game called Bruner, and uh, but I think you in games maybe take you're kind of like trained to take the story as seriously as it wants you to take it, and this game seems like it it's really into what it's what it's uh, trying to say to you the whole time, so it's like, a little too winking. Oh well, yeah, a hundred percent. With the but, uh, emoticons and her her speech, every single sentence, like it was cute, like the first couple of times, but now it's just really grating. Well, I mean, even the the kind of twist at the end too is something you see, you you just know this is the kind of game that's going to. I think there's a part where uh, your character, whenever you have a dialogue option, I think you can usually nod or shrug, which you know yeah. is, is an astute commentary on <laughs> player choice. It really right? doesn't then, matter. And and it becomes this thing, you know, where it's it's essentially saying, well, who is this character being controlled by other people, and are you, you know, as the audience of this game, as the player, what what do your choices mean? And God damn, if I have not, you know, had enough of that over the last <laughs> how many years I, now? How long has it been? Like eleven years since Bioshock One. Would you kind famous one? I yeah. but I had a really different feeling about that character i want to I, I think we should talk about that character stuff later on because i think there, there there's things you need to kind of build around it before we sure. get there uh, i i had a different feeling about the character and and also things like those nod shrug or like nod crack knuckles choices they they actually mm. I, I quite enjoyed those for reasons that we can discuss later on one thing i want to return to before we get too far away from it is Toussaint, you talked about anime now i, I i'm completely Philistine when it comes to anime. I, 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 I know, know you have a very low tolerance for anime bullshit. It's not that I have a low tolerance. I, I, it's more that I'm, I think basically I'm, I'm uneducated and just unversed in anime and that's manifested in the past as a kind of bullish refusal to get into anime. My policy has been not enough time. There are other things that I want to do. I'm, I'm happy for people to talk to me about anime and explain anime to me but I, I don't think I'm ever ever going to invest the, the time and energy to watch it but what I want to know is that you talked about the influences of anime and, and, and Japanese movies and things on this game and yeah. I'm interested to, to think about that more specifically if you had specific anime or specific directors or specific illustrators who do you think have had some kind of inflection on this game and, and in what way absolutely I think that Going back to, to the visuals, because I feel like that is really what is the strong point of this game. Like, the strength of this game is um, the contribution of the creative director, whose name, I believe, is Benedict Sissender. Um He's basically the guy behind all of the two-dimensional um, character artwork that you see in the game. And I love mm. his, his, his way of sort of, like, recontextualizing like the most obvious of of influences from some of the most venerable anime creators and like you you can tell that th these are references to like like the entire aesthetic of that is like a combination of Katsuhiro Otomo's uh like the the guy who who 
drew and, and directed Akira, it's a combination of Koji Morimoto, who has worked with uh, Otoma on multiple things, including Magnetic Rose, which is like one of my favorite um, anime short films. And it's also a combination of Masamune Shiro, who is the original like comic artist behind Ghost in the Shell. Like I see all these... All, all of these are present within the actual like character designs themselves, but even then there's the the more obvious sort of nods, such as like you see those those kiosks with the uh, the, the little cat faces that pop up and they have like a pill that's obviously from Akira. Mm-hmm. And if you look on the lapel of like her's jacket, you can see um, the mark of sacrifice from Berserk, which is another one of my favorite um like comics and and animes and speaking of berserk the music the the music yeah it's great um but speaking of the music from this i think one of the most impressive things that rencon was able to do as a as a first-time developer um was able to get um hirasawa susumi who actually did the music for berserk and did the music for another one of my favorite anime films paprika he did a lot of stuff with um Satoshi Kon before he passed like get, getting him to actually make music for this game like it just brings it all home that they're really wearing their influences on their sleeves when it comes to what are the primary texts of cyberpunk that they're like really like paying not to so what do you, but, what do you sorry can I go read no I was just going to say cause I, because Tucson knows a lot more about this stuff than either of us and it was because one of the impressions I got, though, from, you know, I, I don't, I don't know a ton about this stuff, but you know, I've, yeah. I'm familiar with a decent amount of, of the stuff you're talking about, but like this also, it felt, at there were a few moments where you would look at something and you'd say, okay, well that's directly from, you know, Akira or something, but oh, then, yeah. but mostly it felt like the kind of rare thing where you have all these influences that are very direct and very kind of obvious, where, you know, you know where they're pulling from. But it did very much feel like its own thing to me. Um, oh yeah, it, you know, not the most creative world and everything, but it the way it looked like is very, you know, even just the the thick red and black and the kind of mixing of like the comic book portraits with, you know, this kind of like lo-fi three uh, D models in it and everything. It, I don't, I don't know, but it it still felt like it had. It's it, it had an identity of its own. To me, it felt I, like a kind of palimpsest. You know, like a, a piece of paper that's just been drawn on by lots of different people, like one right. line over another, over another, over another. And the thing that's I a good way of describing it. The thing I wanted to talk, I wanted to to ask you, Tucson, in, in addition to the, the influences and, and the names who are involved in this, is what do you think is the kind of what is the what is this mood that is within these anime movies, and the, the, what what are the the themes that these kind of directors that the game is tying on? What are their themes that they deal with? What are the, what is their aesthetic? What is the tone of this kind of work, this anime work, and how is it captured in uh, Ruiner? You know, what what are they what are they drawing? Not just like the the, the simple not not simple kind of basal visual style, the the key kind right. of tokenistic references. What do you think they're playing on in terms of something deeper like mood, emotion? You know, what's the kind of common element do you think among all of these directors and anime movies? I mean, I think the the through line for the directors that I cited before, the directors and artists that I cited, such as Otomo and Shiro and Morimoto, is that I think that each of their respective styles, even though they're they're distinct in and of themselves, they both clue into the the broader um, 
mood, the gestalt of cyberpunk, which is having these very drab, dystopic environments that are populated by these, like, either, like, low-life or working-class characters who are trying to eke out an existence against these larger, ineffable forces, whether they are corporate or incorporeal um, in their nature. And I think that that sort of that sort that sort of ties into to Ruiner. I think that I, I it's it's hard to really say who Puppy is. Like Puppy is is a cipher. Puppy is something something that you're supposed to be able to project on. And I I'm not sure how I how I feel about that. There's not a lot that's that there is to to go off of of him. But I I do think that the the themes of those of those prior references that I made are apparent in this, like outside of the actual aesthetic, like nods to that source material. Mm. That, that uh, kind of, I don't know, just putting it plainly like that in terms of, you know, the, the through line that you're talking about with, with people kind of caught up in uh, sort of like, um, I don't know, cogs in this large impersonal machine. That's, that's, Oh yeah. That's, that's more, a huge part of this game. Yeah, it's uh, and it kind of makes me maybe think differently as well about uh, you know, puppy being this kind of like you said, like a cipher, like being this this. I don't know if right away when I go into this game, I think of things that have just kind of like nod at me uh, and started to bore me in games like you know, mute characters and mm-hmm. uh, and you know. <laughs> last acts that that kind of try to say what's what's the you know has this character actually decided anything when it's when they're making decisions um but if you bring that into this kind of setting i don't know maybe i i'm willing to i'm interested to hear what what both you guys think as we you know i'm curious what you were saying before too ed with what you thought of the character well, how it, it connects somewhat. How I feel about the limited amount of anime films that I've watched, and, and the even more limited amount of anime films that I've enjoyed. Let's talk specifically about Akira. I think the reason I like Akira is yeah. that is I that, love Akira. Yeah, well, I, I I find Akira, and this is also a quality actually of Hotline Miami that isn't as present in Ruiner as I would have liked, or, or was maybe led to expect from the game's marketing. One thing I like about Akira is that it's hypnotic it's it's like uh cataleptic it, it, it it's images there's there's the the plot of akira is unintelligible uh, uh and so kind of contrived and, and strange that's and, fair the first time convoluted. going through that's fair yeah. but I, I don't mean that as a, as a criticism on the contrary no. i enjoy that film because it is um it's such a just such a bold such a boldly visual, such a kind of expressively visual, overwhelmingly visual film. It's mm-hmm. there's no point. There's such there is the, the plot, the story, the characters are such lesser pleasures than just being sort of Alex DeLarge, eyes held open, overwhelmed by the way the film looks. That I don't bother mm-hmm. trying to even follow the plot. So what I what I feel was lacking from Ruiner in terms of its comparisons to anime or, or, or good anime or, or what I would deem to be good anime is that all of those films have this overwhelming kind of visual volume this like quantity this this aesthetic of 
are just much you know in, in anime films especially in Akira again towards the end you've got these characters who are literally like engorging these like territoried monstrous characters who are just swelling and filling the screen and that always felt to me like a great analogue for what is the pleasure of that film which is just it's just taking over your eyes it's taking over your senses and yeah Ruiner the 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 colour scheme and the backgrounds and the, the aesthetic repeated themselves far too much. I never I never felt that that rush of visuals that I that I expect from something that's playing so heavily on anime. Conversely, when we're talking about the muteness of the character and the sort of characterlessness of the character. Um one of the things I enjoyed about Hotline Miami was its kind of appeals to like base physiological urges. It it wanted to just excite you and maybe scare you and give you a bloodlust and I, I i think it did appeal to your sort of desire to kill and sever and defeat and be powerful and the way it did that was by giving you a character who quite nakedly had no other purpose you know he answers a phone hmm. puts on puts on a mask to disguise himself as you know literally as an animal you know to just reach into his basicest instincts and then goes off and kills and in this game you've also got a character who's disguised a character whose only responses to the world are like crack knuckles, shrug, nod, you know, just basically acknowledge what he's going to do, essentially. And gifts yeah. on his helmet, which are projected by his hacker-like friend. Yeah, all, all yeah. of which are, are, are simplistic but threatening messages. And that allows, I think, if the visuals in Ruiner were bolder, it would allow them to breathe. And also... If one of the pleasures, one of the interesting things for me about Hotline Miami was this kind of, I think, I think, and just bear with me while I go off into the kind of psychosexual reads here, okay? Go for it. I think, no, I know, I know for a fact, because there are so, so many times in this game where it makes references, there's a veneer, like a sousson, like a... a, a a suggestion of sexual power play when she calls him puppy man if you if you know anything about <laughs> like dominant submission relationships male dom femme dom stuff that's a yeah. common dynamic that's a common role play it's a common nickname and then later on in the game you've got this guy who you're following and you're dragging on literally on like a leash and you're zapping him oh, like yeah. hitting, hitting yeah. him to make him do what you want so yeah. there's this there's this implication of like a psychosexual dominant submission dynamic throughout the game, and I think you have it in Hotline Miami as well, where you've got you're allowed to put on a mask, take on a guise, you know, basically inhabit a role, do these mm. kind of physically disgraceful things, and then take the mask off and have to come down and go back to being your average person. And, Eyes wide shut. Yeah, right. Yeah, the masquerade <laughs> ball kind of kind of uh, experience. <laughs> And it's there in Ruiner as well, because I think what the game is trying to do is, is just free you from responsibility. It's not really asking you to consider your decisions, you know, have you really got choice in game? It's asking you to just exist in the role of puppy, you know, pun intended, basically, double entendre intended, to exist in the role of puppy and enjoy doing these things without any guilt, because you're being told and you, you don't have the sort of power, you literally don't have the power to respond anyway, because you're there to do as is said. So there's there's rather than a game about whether your choices are your own I think that it's, it's a game where it, it's doing its utmost to just free you from any moral conflict and I, I, I find in that like an interesting parable for, for psycho-sexual dom-sum relationships where you're, the, the submissive character is, is 
being freed from responsibility. I um, think that's a really good note. Like I, I didn't really clue into that, but as soon as you like say it out loud, you're like, yeah. okay, that that totally reads. Like that 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 make, that makes sense. I think that yeah, th this is definitely a game that tries to like urge you forward into like committing these acts of violence and these these increasingly more spectacular forms throughout the the entire course of the game. I just don't feel like it really whether whether it comes down to the the sound design of my my weapons actually impacting the enemies or how the enemies are actually like falling around the place or the fact that I feel like I don't have enough time to really dwell on the on the on the scope of violence that actually I have left in my wake. It it, it just feels I, I think what it really comes down to is that and 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 just sort of like a direct comparison between Hotline Miami and this game, death is writ into the actual design of Hotline Miami. You are meant to die multiple times in that game. You're like when you're first playing it, you're you're trying to be stealthy, you're trying to like read the entire area, you're trying to like scope things out. It's like until you finally realize and break down after dying multiple times that the best way to do it is to just go in and knock some heads and like kick somebody's shit in. Versus this game, I feel like you try that from the beginning and there's too much of a stopgap with like the the slow down game over screen and pressing E in order to, to continue and then walking back to the same area and like rehearsing the same ballet of of erratic spray and pray that you did before. Only this time you're a little bit more careful. So mm. it, it doesn't really do a lot for me. That is where the game falls flat. I, I think that it, it 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 invites your bloodlust, it invites some anger, it invites a sense of the being liberated, the being um sort of wanton almost. And then the basically the effects aren't there. The the, the guns don't sound good enough, the blood isn't isn't kind of splashy enough, and there's not enough this is the there's not enough death. The quantity is not there. It's like yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to come up with some sort of other disgusting sexual metaphor, but it's you know, it's just like getting all all, all dressed up, all fired up, and then it just doesn't well, happen. I mean, yeah, and I I think about that, and at times I was thinking, well, you know, what was sort of their goal for the kind of feeling you're going to get from this combat, and sometimes the music and and the kind of like soft. Uh, What's the right way to describe this? It's like an exit sign on, in like an empty building. This kind of like warm red glow mm. over everything. Um, it feels kind of like subdued mm. uh, at at times. So I I thought for a while, okay, well maybe, you know, the point of this combat where you can kind of slow down time and, and stuff like this, and teleport around is is to make you feel kind of cool or like, you know, just like you have like. Mm, I don't know, like less less frenzied kind of than something like a Hotline Miami. Or it's the most novel game mechanic in the entire game. It's like a combination of the obviously the the dash mechanic from like Hyperlight Drifter with a little bit of the the turn based qualities of Transistor, which I thought was cool. Right. Yeah. But when I think about the way it feels when you when you fight a ton of enemies in this game. Kind of like what Ed was saying, it, it feels like the game would be better served by making it feel like you're kind of 
in some form of bloodlust or something. Mm. You know, like like these things that are happening, especially when you you contrast the game having the, this hub area that you're going in and out of, uh, and you're just kind of walking around there talking to people and you know, in, in true cyberpunk fashion, it feels like you're being watched kind of all the time and it feels yeah. closed and, and claustrophobic and, you know, like this citywide panopticon kind of thing going on. You and talk if... to, uh, sorry. Um, no, no, no. You, like in, in the, in the hub world, you can talk to this older woman who like is wearing a mask and she'll have like these oh, yeah. cryptic, these, these, these sort of cryptic, um, like, hints for you she'll say like the eye is watching you and i immediately thought as like the eye is watching me is like so who else is watching me is like is this person who i'm talking to really who i think they are and just like hmm that's interesting and they have like the little cameras the surveillance cameras around too and there's just kind of everything feels like you're on a back street and if you go too far out into the light there are going to be you know police or riot mm. cops or something standing around um but then when you go into these levels, it kind of feels like, well, here you are, you're alone. And there's, you know, when the enemies aren't there, there's a lot more space to move around and the character feels a lot smaller. And all of it kind of feels like it should be this... Hmm. And for a game that's very much about kind of like trying to rebel against this, you know, apparently like omnipotent system, um, it, it, the violence almost feels like it's supposed to be subversive or something think, but it's it doesn't feel that way when you I do think it that's, I it think feels that's like a totally, violent world yeah well I, I think that's totally right and I, I, I think that in my head I'm kind of resistant to keep comparing the game to Hotline Miami but then again I think if it's going to live by that comparison and it did in the marketing then it can mm -hmm. die by it as well and the thing with Hotline Miami is that it does feel genuinely kind of like seditionist subversive the first level of that game you you know like the first thing it tells you to do is kill and you 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 smashing I think a homeless person's head with a bat or something in the first level, one of the first levels and also yeah. the thing about Ruina if we're talking about whether this one feels subversive and dangerous and this one doesn't feel subversive and dangerous, the thing about Ruina is that all the levels take place far away from any populated areas, they're all in enemy bases they're all in like industrial zones, they're all in places that look very deliberately set up for combat whereas Corridors corridors Hotline Miami is taking place in hotels and bars it's kind of the difference between I think the first and the second Terminator films where the first Terminator film it's all happening in the streets it's all happening in a bar it's all happening in a police station and the second one all feels like it's been shot on the back lot it's happening in a factory it's happening in a kind of empty aqueduct in the middle of Los Angeles it feels a lot safer and Ruina mm -hmm. it all takes place in places that are kind of patent you go there on a motorcycle you know you, you watch yourself kind of travel out to take to, to, to do combat and then you come back and the same thing happens in Hotline Miami you get in a car and you leave your flat and you go to where you've got to go but you're always going to quite pedestrian locations locations that feel like they're in the middle of somewhere and that's what lends I think the violence in that game an edge that Ruiners doesn't have Ruiners feels like you're travelling to video game levels Hotline mm -hmm. Miami feels like you're going to places in this city you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. no, yeah I do yeah yeah it's I, I think it's all of that too it kind of I don't know it's it's far less kind of it, it feels strange to say that a problem with a video game is that it's not sort of nasty enough because I feel like a lot, it's called a lot Ruiner of, 
You know exactly. It's it's called well, ruiner. Yeah. If, if it was called top down fuck 'em up and you're not actually like doing that, then like yeah. what is the point of this game? If I go and see Itchy the Killer, I, 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 want, <laughs> I want blood. You know. It's, well, and I mean also when you talk about aesthetic with this game, it does make the choice which I applaud, but we're gonna have to start uh be more selective about it of presenting his title in all caps. And <laughs> you know, strafe. Wait. Fool me once, yeah. Uh, Dusk deserves it. I think Dusk, you know, carries the the all caps legacy. Doom but, definitely deserves it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I think when you 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 uh, kind of present yourself that way, it's, yeah, you're, you're setting yourself up for you know what aside else? from marketing or whatever. I'm just saying, even the name itself. But you know, Not the, too... the name of the band Health is in all caps, and you listen yeah, to them. Deserves music. it. Yeah, and it's and it's frenetic and it's berserk and it's unruly. I mean, you play Ruin and it, it does feel not like that. The the book shooter, a great book. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you now, mean that classic, I, I, read, that modern I've, classic. I've heard that 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 shooter is a comprehensive guide to the modern first person and third person shooter, and is available for a reasonable price. Is that right? <laughs> Tell That's me right. more. It's available on Amazon.ca or .com or dot. Actually, maybe it's not even on .ca. Yeah, it is. Whatever. Let's not talk about that. There's nothing about Ruiner in it. It's not outdated. I, I wanted to to make note of something that I did notice about the game um, in regards to sort of its place as a as a cyberpunk text. Like I, I read this mm. interview that the the developers did with Unwinnable, and one of the main takeaways that I took away from that was that they didn't set out ostensibly to make a cyberpunk game. They sort of rolled their eyes at that notion. But the marketing and the presentation of this game sort of pretty much wears that entirely on its sleeve. So I feel like there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance as to between intentions and execution when it comes to whether or not this Hughes is a cyberpunk game. I I I I love cyberpunk. I came to cyberpunk through anime and I like I name it as, as one of my favorite subgenres, but at the same time I have a love-hate relationship with it because I feel like contemporary cyberpunk is such that it only wears the notion of that as as an aesthetic borrowed from the nineties and it's mm-hmm. entirely absorbed by nineties kitsch with neon and smoke and 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 stunner shades and stuff like that. It's like if if if, if it only exists as an aesthetic, then I feel like it is counterintuitive to that of what its purpose was to be, which was to be subversive, which was not only literally, but but not not only literally, but also um, aesthetically in its own way. And if it keeps on like honing to this 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 model without actually having anything to to say or contribute to the time which it is actually created, then I feel like it's already dead on arrival. And I feel like Ruiner is one step in and one step out when it comes to that. I feel like it 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 hues very very close almost too close to its forebearers on an aesthetic level but i feel like in terms of some of the window dressing of 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 the context of the city and what you're what you're doing in it i think that it, it is very interesting like the case of the first enemies that you fight are creeps and if you actually look at the description of the creeps they say that they are third children which is a reference to China's one child policy or two child policy as it as it exists right now where you have like these these children who have been born outside of the the 
the constructed rigor of the system and have either been abandoned or have to fight or eke out a, a life of their own and that's how they end up as a street gang or even the concept of the the upgradable currency that you have in the game which is karma which seems like a a an explicit reference to the idea of sesame credit which is a, a system of social currency that is being explored in china like all right yeah. as, as as we as we speak like that is terrifying and this seems like a a a a magnifying glass looking at that and expounding on it to what that might entail if it was ever taken to its logical extreme so i think that this i i feel like as much as the surface of this game might lend one to suspect or 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 to just outright say that this is a, a totally mindless game i feel like it does have a conscience it just doesn't really come to the forefront yeah I I would say too, just on a like on a formal level, it's the, how much of that stuff is kind of just jammed into those like appendices or the glossary that that uh, pops up and updates right. throughout the game, where you go and you read a paragraph of text. It's when when you said it feels like it's kind of like one foot in, one foot out. That's how I felt about a lot of you know aspects of this game that work and don't. Like the, some of the most interesting stuff about the story. Um, you would just totally not get if you weren't pausing and, and reading those menus every and there's such a volume of them too like you have you know a hundred words about you know the 50th assault rifle you found and that upgrade uh, that 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 update as the story goes forward so you can't even like read it once you have to go back and reread it yeah and so it kind of like dilutes the the stuff that's actually important that that you really do want to know and kind of contextualizes some of the places that you're going and you know kind of makes I don't know adds a lot to it but yeah it's the way it's conveyed is it's just not enough and I think there are aspects of things like they talk about you know you learn more about people kind of uh, this like VR system where it's essentially like pseudo comatose bodies being used as kind of hosts for richer people to experience this kind of VR stuff with. I may have gotten the details wrong. Um, Was Puppy himself in virtuality? Like, that's that's the name of it. Like, he's wearing that helmet, and I think that... I was well, yeah, expecting there to be... Like, a... He's the boss or something. I should also say, and this is bad, but I finished playing this game probably about, what, like a month ago. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm, like, running off screenshots I took. Um, yeah. But he's kind of being hijacked. Uh, throughout the entire game and oh christ maybe i shouldn't try to explain this and get it wrong i think the fact that three reasonably intelligent people can sit here and not have a fucking clue exactly what this game is, trying to play <laughs> is, is, is probably indicative of something I. kill boss is, yeah you know if, if if there is something underneath all of ruiner then it, it's very difficult to detect or, or turn into some kind of cogent well i mean it's line. it's there and yeah. I, I, all I'm saying is I remember there were aspects of it that I thought were, you know, like the stuff you were saying too is about like the like Sesame Credit and Karma stuff and the third children and everything. Like, you know, there's just like some neat, <laughs> neat like nightmarish stuff in there uh, that needs to find its way into the story itself more. Absolutely. If, if you yeah. just don't pay attention, you could just this game is is a series of levels where you do these things and sometimes there's kind of nonsensical text that pops up, you know? Mm. 
there's also the the problem in the in the hub worlds like when you go to okay so there there's a there's a bar that you go to and there's like a girl outside and she like is so excited to see you but you you sort of catch on either very quickly or later on in the game that she is really putting on a face because she doesn't want to end up being like disappeared and then like being right, organ yeah. harvested and stuff like that and and you you do you do contracts for the woman who is actually in the bar but there are already things that I was already going to do in the game and then there's another place that's like adjacent to it that has like this sort of like SNM bar vibe that supposedly awards you for how many times you've died and I had no idea what the hell I got out of those things I, I didn't bother looking at my karma score or anything because it didn't really pop up or show anything and I figured do I get a do I get a buff? Do I get a weapon? Do I do do I get like store credit? I don't I don't know. Like it it, it didn't. I I only did it because it was along my way, and I didn't really it, it didn't really pan out to anything meaningful for me in the story. Yeah, I mean it. It feels like sort of like an assemb- like a collection of parts rather than anything that you're just kind of going to holistically like run across, which. I don't know. In terms of when you're you're trying to do something with the story in a game, and and that's one of your, you know, stronger aspects or, or some of the details of this world that you're presenting. I think you, it's it's best to try to make sure that the player sees it naturally. It's a checkbox for an achievement, pretty much. Like I, I went yeah. around and and hacked all the cats. You you have to go and you have to like hack cats and you yeah, go back I, to the cat person. I did that too. I like cats. and I and. Maybe yeah, I like cats too. They're they're cool. Um, it's kind of weird when they start talking to you after you're like poking them with like like yeah, mine signals and stuff like that. Yeah, but um, maybe I need to go back for the game and like not do those and see like can I open those boxes that I found around the level? Because if I couldn't do that, that'd be kind right. of bullshit. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. Um, so one thing, Ed, do you mind if I like kind of hijack a question here, even though you've been hosting? Hijack away. I'm not the host, man. I do the introduction and the introduction. I, I don't run this thing. <laughs> Wait, okay, so <laughs> let's more clearly delineate our roles on this show right now. <laughs> well, yeah. Who's the puppy? Who's her? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing I was thinking when we were talking about this, and and I was thinking about this, you know, given the how how recently we did that observer episode and you know the new blade runner is out in theaters now catch it use my referral code and um <laughs> I, I just i i think there's maybe something too and i i think part of it is just like nostalgia and aesthetic being recycled kind of like what Tusa was saying about like you know cyberpunk being used just as you know neon and smoke and everything but there also feels like there's maybe something to the idea, and I'm wondering what you guys think about this, about these these stories maybe having more potency now than they would have, say, 10 years ago, when I think our, our you know, greater cultural worries were, were centered more on different aspects than, you know, corporate takeover of I mean, I, I democratic think, nations and technology and so forth. I think that the... I think it's a it's a combination of nostalgia and at the same time it is a a combination of and I know this is going to sound crazy it it sounds like a combination of nostalgia and optimism because even in those 
early cyberpunk like stories. I'm re I'm actually rereading uh, Neuromancer right now. Like I'm enjoying it. Uh, even even the, in those early stories that were published in the 1980s, like you had you had corporate city states. You had the erosion of the the private sector into public interests. You had like authoritarian regimes and stuff like that. You had people that were beat down and the entire erosion of the middle class. But despite, and, and also a hell of a lot of pollution, uh, yeah. despite all of those things, there was one shining bastion that always seemed like a constant. Like it seemed like the Wild West and that was the internet. The internet was supposed to be a place that would uplift people, that would educate people, that would allow them to tool like you laugh like like you're laughing right now you understand no, no, no. I, that that, I know that is absolute bullshit to our I, to our actual like like reality right no, now because i haven't thought about how dark it is to think that we're living you know 30 years later from neuromancer or 40 years or whatever yeah and yeah the internet is not quite the subversive tool that that maybe like gibson would have thought it would be yeah, it's not exactly the one like sole place where you can get truth in all of its in all of its luster, but um, and yeah, yeah, I, I think it is sort of like trying to like harken back to a time when those sort of narratives were were only like half fantasy when we could still say that they're half fantasy instead of like encroaching closer and closer towards them. Yeah. I think I think that's that's part of the reason why we're 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 so attracted to them because if if we if if we just treat it as an aesthetic, if we just treat it as like a look, then we don't actually have to like bear with the weight of of how uncanny and how like sad the overlap might be. Mm. I, I have a slightly conflicted experience with dystopia and especially with these neon cyberpunk kinds of dystopia which is they lead you to believe or, or encourage you to feel disheartened or worried or concerned or reflective you know look at look at the state the world might end up in if things keep going the way that they are but that's never exactly my feeling I look at something like Blade Runner I look at something like Ruin I even look at something like Observer and I think that looks really cool <laughs> That looks like that looks like an exciting world to live in. That looks like a world where I can I can wear a really great coat and smoke and see. And I was, <laughs> but I'm, and I'm I'm being serious. Like I, I, I know, I, yeah, yeah. That those 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 things they don't they never strike me exactly. They don't hit me as hard in a sort of social conscientious kind of way as they do um, in a, an aesthetically pleasing way. Like the latest Blade Runner, for example, when it you get that that. Um, kind of bird's eye view of California and it's all in sort of arranged concentric circles and it's meant to look like you know god man we we blew it look how look how society looks now it's all formulaic and arranged and I just part of me just looks at it and thinks well that looks really pretty all those yeah. great circles down there it's, it's pretty really from a, from a distance yeah see I, yeah. I I think we may have actually talked about this exact same thing when we did Observer and I would have been with you to an extent ed about like you know the cities in blade runner like they look decent you know mm. it's uh, i don't know about that some of I them mean, there's like the yeah. pyramid place where you know the the corporate what is it tyrell corporation yeah. or whatever that place looks pretty like doomsday like a 
Um, it looks it, like but, it was it was built by replicant slaves because it's a pyramid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. That's very, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think you, you see something like in the newest Blade Runner. I, I was thinking about this in in twenty forty nine, which is good. Again, you use my referral code. Um, <laughs> but there's there's stuff on it, and I wonder about how these things kind of resound with us depending on our time and place but stuff in the, in the newest in Blade Runner where uh, toward the end when there's like the ocean wall and you know there, there's this scene of the characters kind of in the middle of the ocean at night and it's just off the coast of LA you know it's, mm. it's presumably you know uh, the sea has started overtaking the continent yeah. of the US and, and there's something I found like utterly terrifying about the way that was shot and and the yeah. idea of like this is what this looks like you know this is this idea of like we're kind of just holding on to planks um as the earth kind of gives up um the idea that you have to explain what a tree is to someone yeah stuff like that and i i found i i could see things like that but maybe i don't know anything because i guess that movie didn't do too well but i could mm. see things like that kind of drawing people in you know, and I could see things in, in games, if done well, kind of drawing people in and really getting like a, a real gut reaction out of people. Um, I, but I, I'm not sure if this would be a popular opinion, but I feel like dystopia and exaggerated visions of the future, and Tucson, I think that you mentioned this earlier on, I think that they are a, a very comforting or comfortable way to look at and think about the problems of the present yeah it's in a, it is a, it is a, it is a vicarious kind of like the remove concern. the remove like the yeah. fantasy of it and yeah because it, it, it's the, things like the question of if we ever develop AI will it be considered human and, and what if we abuse that power that doesn't concern me Donald Trump concerns me, you know. Yeah. Korea concerns me. <laughs> yeah. Um, AIDS concerns me, yeah. and I, I feel like watching dystopia or playing dystopia, and then, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fuck. Uh, and 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 then espousing your your kind of great social concern feels to me, sort of inherently, false somehow. Hmm. Well, I wonder maybe if it's more cathartic than it is I think exactly that. Like, and that, um, and that's probably what I'm trying to get at when I say that it looks great it's it's a really nice way to worry it's well, what a really I was... comfortable way to worry I, I think that a lot of cyberpunk stories nowadays are kind of disingenuous when it comes to the framing of the individual versus the the larger like corporate superpower like it, it, it feels very much it, it, is, it is a power fantasy it, it's meant to be comforting in that way and I remember reading this really great article from Emily Yoshida about the recent movie called The Circle and how Hollywood so oftentimes gets cyberpunk or even gets like the the struggle against like corporate like overreach wrong and that it, it always kind of frames it like oh yeah it's like the individual managed to like take down the big corporation and everything's okay it's like well what about 
the 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 instance where a uh, corporate influence has like written itself so deeply into the crux of a society that to destabilize it would be to send the lives of countless people into freefall would right. you would, would 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 you actually like like renounce that 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 corporate that that corporatocracy or would you sort of like anoint yourself at the head of it in order to sort of like guide it benevolently, which which is really just benevolent dictatorship. Like it's a hard, hard question that I feel like Hollywood and most like mainstream yeah. games actually skirt around. Well, yeah, and especially you know the circle is based on uh, Dave Eggers' book, which is based on oh, yeah. Google, right? So yeah. you talk about that example, and you talk about how you know Google may be the first to have self-driving cars that people can buy affordably and you know all these different things and you think about well it's not as simple as you know fuck google like let's right. overthrow google because then you know what, what do you have left but all right i guess kind of like the last thing i was thinking about with this too is and when Toussaint said earlier like <laughs> I, I thought this is what maybe what you're gonna say at first when you talk about like uh, 80s and 90s cyberpunk where they're there's the one thing that they're looking forward to that's maybe going to save everything, and that's the internet. And then when Ed is saying there's something comforting about uh, maybe just the idea of of this future where people are still walking around, and I wonder if that's the defeating aspect of it, and maybe you know the the complicating part of the catharsis is maybe it's reassuring to think that even in Blade Runner 2049 in theaters now. Um, when they <laughs> when they have like you know this ocean wall and all this horrible shit going on and but there's still the thing where it's like yeah but look if people are still alive you know which maybe is is optimistic to be thinking that in 50 years um, yeah. there will still be humanity and there will there will still be cities and there will still be <laughs> you know even other planets to go to that we can get to and you know it, it it's true what Ed's saying about I wonder if maybe there's more of a fantasy rather than a dystopia, if maybe there's a, a little bit of utopia in it to well, to imagine that the world's not just going to end because end. You know, the, political ineptitude. The world of Blade, uh, the world of Blade Runner 2049 is populated by Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford and Jared Leto and Lenny James and Dave Bautista and all these fantastically looking people. So it, it never straight, and it's you know, and it's got music by Hans Zimmer and cinematography by Roger Deakins. And it, it, it looks and sounds fantastic and is lived in by the otherworldly good looking. The thing about the internet and what Tucson was getting at about, you know, um, <laughs> in, in cyberpunk, destroying the corporation is always the victory, but perhaps it's not perhaps, it definitely isn't that simple. And individuality and, and things like that. The, the, the fear for me and where I think the internet has become bastardized most heavily is that with the influence of big companies it becomes almost impossible to delineate where your individuality ends and the corporate influence begins you, know, you mm. use hashtags that are given to you by companies you you express yourself via their service you ascribe to trends that are perpetuated by magazines and Website, so the internet has become this kind of outlet for a, a type of individual, a type of individuality, which is influenced and crafted and inflected and shaped by companies. So if you get rid of all those things, you're not just a 
potentially robbing people of their jobs. You're robbing them of identity. And, and Pers that, personality that, as a confluence of brands that are overlapping with one another, which is just absolutely fucking terrifying. It's but that 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 to me is is if you were writing the cyberpunk novel today, that I think is where yeah. it should be going. That that's yeah. where you that's where you start to look is is we're not just dependent on the corporate strata for our work for our money, but for who we feel like we are and for our mm. entertainment and for how we spend our free time and what we do with our families. And that's where you start to look. I don't know. I, at some point we were talking about some video game. Yeah, we were talking about a video game and then we talked about something interesting. <laughs> but, no, but... but it, if, you were to, if, we, if the question was, is, is Ruin a cyberpunk and is it, is it sort of, is it cyberpunk to the extent or, or by the definition of cyberpunk that it has something to say that's kind of achingly relevant, satirically relevant to where we are now I don't feel like it is but I also wasn't particularly bothered that it wasn't, I, it didn't strike me as that important to me mm. that Ruiner have something to say capital S T S. Um, right Yeah. no and I you know the reason I asked that question too is because I think um you know, me writing my cyberpunk for games, I think we're going to see a lot more cyberpunk of this style in the next couple of years. I, I think we've seen quite a bit already. And, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to have these discussions about what's the purpose of this right now, and is it is it imparting anything? I think uh, both of you are spot on with, you know, like, two saying, like, if you if you destroyed a corporation, it doesn't change everything. And, yeah. and Ed saying... You know, uh, the, maybe the real issues now are, are how deeply ingrained uh, a lot of this stuff that would be, you know, in the past, it's just kind of like Robin Hood, like, just bring down the evil corporation, it'll rain money from the sky, everyone will be celebrating um, on on a <laughs> sort of identity level, can we do without them? And I don't know, I, I think that's stuff worth keeping in mind when we think about, because I felt kind of like hollow. With, with some of these games um, I'm still interested in them but I think as we see more and more of them which I'm, I kind of think we will I, I just think there's maybe gonna maybe we'll feel a little bit of hollowness that because they're not addressing things quite right. as in depth as we'd want them to but mm -hmm. anyway who knows I've meandered all over the place here well no that's, that's some... fine yeah Read. We are at time. We have hit our 60 minutes for this episode, or we've gone over oh, okay. our 60 minutes for this episode. Um, so I think, is there anything final that we'd like to discuss? Is there any other point that you think is achingly relevant about Ruiner that needs to be discussed? Mm. I feel like I miss things. But we I, always I think, feel like that. That's I, how I, it I think I, I hit on everything I wanted to say. Um, just reiterating, the music is good. The music is really good. Yeah, so, music is yeah. good. Yeah, there, there cool. are uh, really a few tracks sometimes. in there that that really work. Oh yeah, I I immediately went to Spotify to to add them and and find them uh, after I'd finished playing the game. Um, and it's it's not a bad game at all. It just it felt kind of like unsatisfying to me. Just a little bit yeah. too. I just kind of wish it cohered a little bit more, and I wish it just there were just minor things like you know I just want to. Just want some better sound effects would go a long way. Um, totally. But it no, it's not a bad game. I think it's worth checking out. Um, 
Yeah. It's serviceable. <laughs> right. It's com- it's competent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, or you could go and play Hotline Miami, or watch Blade Runner, twenty forty nine. Or you can do all of that. And buy Shooter as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that was bullet points, and that was Ruiner Tucson. I'd like to thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. Reed, I'd like to thank you again for <laughs> being here. I'm again. always here, Ed. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying thank you for always being here. For being, I'm a being sophisticated present. AI sprawling <laughs> underneath the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> controlling global stock markets and manipulating media headlines. I have um, never met you in person, I knew it. So that, that may as well be true. That's that's true. That's yeah. exactly what I am. Yeah. You didn't give Tucson a chance to say his Twitter where people can find him or where I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Don't worry. It's I thought you hands. forgot. I got scared. No, 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 no. There's a structure. There's a plan. Don't worry. I'm sticking okay. to it. <laughs> Tucson, if people want to go and read your writing and your thoughts, where can they do that? Well, they can find me at. Uh, pace.com or they could check out my twitter which is at the saint of tus that is uh the saint of t-o-u-s at twitter.com read same question uh you can find me by uh well you'll never find me because i'm just beneath the (laughs) outermost layer of the earth core uh and my my body is if you want to call it a body is kilometers wide and <laughs> anyway but there's a picture of this human <laughs> on twitter uh and that's that's my avatar my earthly avatar yeah. you can find that at reed mccarter and you can read my writing and i have two articles up on bullet points this month so you should read those I will reiterate that and say you should go to bulletpointsmonthly.com and if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the writing that we do, please go to patreon.com forward slash bulletpoints and donate any money that you can. It all helps us keep going and we appreciate it a lot. Tucson, one last time, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll be back shortly with another episode of the Bullet Points Podcast. Thank you for listening.